So there are so many opportunities to make sure that every element of what we do is actually usable and accessible. And I don't mean just accessible in terms of being able to be accessed by screen readers and that sort of thing, but accessed and understood by the general public generally is a challenge. And I don't think you can do that really effectively if you're just siloed. And so that's one of the beauties of eSafety, that we do work across V-teams, virtual teams. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Deborah Rice, the Manager of Content Strategy and Publishing with Australia's eSafety Commissioner, which is the world's first government online safety regulator and an organisation that is joined by many organisations around the world trying to address the challenges of online harms. The impact of online technology has certainly accelerated through COVID, but while providing many benefits, it has also created many serious societal challenges. Deborah and her team at the eSafety Commissioner, they have a unique culture in that it's a government agency with the energy and pace of a startup. And Deborah leads a team who apply design thinking and behavioural insights into their work to work alongside their functional colleagues who are eSafety's subject matter experts to create relevant and customer-centred content. The job calls for accuracy and speed, and it is certainly a particularly challenging environment where the virtual is real, the risks are high, and often there is no precedent for the advice that they give. Now, it won't surprise any of you to know that Deborah Rice was once a journalist with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, because I'm sure it is many of those journalism skills from her days working for the ABC that she now applies to telling the story of the eSafety Commissioner. And she joins me now. Deborah, welcome to GovComs. Thanks for having me. So how useful is that experience that you had as an ABC reporter in thinking acting and delivering the story of the e-safety commissioner? Oh, absolutely critical, I would say. Um, I mean, I came through uh, the you know, 1989, I joined ABC radio, rural radio. Um, and so I came through that environment where you had to be able to do everything yourself, you know, especially if you were working in the regions, you had to be able to set up an outside broadcast um you had to be able to, you know, do the interviews, do the writing, uh, the, the whole lot. Um, and then moving back and forth between Western Australia and New South Wales mainly, um, eventually I became a, a TV news journo. And, of course, that takes a lot of thinking on your feet. And once we went into, you know, the 24-7 news cycle where you can actually be um, doing a, a live cross 
uh, on television, in radio, uh, you know, radio as well at the same time and um, trying to summarise facts in a way that um, is balanced but also accurate. Uh, I, I think there's no better experience than working in television news for being able to tell a story concisely. Mm. So with that and with that time um, with the ABC, because you did spend, you know, quite a few years working there at the ABC, what were the things that you learnt that you need in good storytelling? What are the, what are the things that, that are absolutely fundamental if you're going to explain something to, to an audience? Uh, relevance to that audience, absolutely critical. Um, of course, you need your, your hook at the top and you need to think, well, if, if people hear nothing but this, will it draw them on? Um, so there's that, you know, the architecture of a story is quite important. Um, you know, it, very similar to, I guess, the old days of print where you could actually just rip off the bottom of a story. It's the same with a, a TV news story or a radio news story for that matter. You can take an early out on everything. So your critical information needs to be high. Um, but also it, you you have to tell the human story as well in order to engage people. Um, one of the things that I uh, always found challenging as a journalist is that you spend a lot of time, a news journalist at least, you spend a, time, a lot of time looking for the, the conflict, the controversy, um, the negative in things. Um, and so you can become quite jaded with that as well and trying to maintain um, a sense of why you're doing what you're doing I think is important, um, you know, especially if you come from an organisation like the ABC where there is a lot of sense of being there for the public good as well. Mm. But it's, it's similar to the mission that you, that you have today in many ways, isn't mm. it, because you are serving the public um, looking to tell the story of the eSafety Commissioner and everything that goes into it because it is a, it is a huge story. It's a growing story. It's a complex story. So tell us that journey from, from um, ABC TV, radio reporter to telling the story of the, uh, of the world's first uh, online safety regulator. Well, I have to say I didn't have an unbroken tenure with the ABC from 1989. I spent some time outside um, as well uh, working for the commercials as a freelance, um, working on, you know, non-news programs, uh, worked for the Commonwealth Bank internal media unit at one stage, so I had a bit of um, that experience of bureaucracy and trying to, you know, get a million different approvals before you actually put anything to air Um and uh, and it was putting things to air because we were we were working on CBA TV, which was narrow casting to you know thirty thousand staff every morning. So uh, when I rejoined the ABC and had young children, you know it was it was uh, you know a good flexible employer. Um, and when I got to the stage where my kids were old enough, I was looking for what the next step would be, and I had great fortune of doing some shifts on the online desk, so subbing um, and putting into the content management system the stories that were going up online. Um, and I really fell in love with that. I, I decided to do some more, you know, training myself. Um, at the time, I was pulling back my hours with the ABC, only working as a radio newsreader on weekends as I was building up my own communications business working for not-for-profits, um, but really looking at content strategy and website 
strategy and how you communicate the important messages um, to people without putting up too many barriers with difficult language and so on. I've, I've sat on the ABC's language committee for a little while as well, so that sort of informed that too. And in terms then of what you do today, to take us into the the life of the content strategist for the eSafety Commissioner, what does a, a typical day look like for you? Well, I guess I have to explain... Um, you know, the environment a little bit more. Uh, we, uh, I initially joined three years ago as the communications and marketing manager. Um, at that stage, there were 80 of us working for eSafety. Now there are around 220, might be a bit more, um, 220. Uh, our, our roles have evolved. Um, the volume of material that we're dealing with has escalated massively, you know, because of COVID, because of other things prior to that, like the, um, you know, terrorist attack in New Zealand, which was live streamed on social media. Um, so we've we've gradually got more powers um, and we've scaled up. Um, so it's been quite a challenge to scale up. And one of the things is uh, communications and marketing manager, there was never enough time to do everything, you know, the, the through from the social media to um, the blog posts, all the way through. So we decided to split the roles um, and I have owned effectively the website content and work very closely with the designers on that. I actually sit um, in the digital and technology team, so I'm not even in the comms and marketing team. I think of myself really as the interface and my team as the interface between the communicators and tech um, so I work very closely with the people who are doing the coding, who are doing the development, um, who are actually looking at the UX uh, and creating design and so on. Um, so it's it's a really interesting position to be in because it's a little bit non-traditional to have that sort of split. It is, and there are people in those roles and there are people with your skills who are obviously clearly sitting in the communications areas. What do you see as the benefits of you having the, the, the skill set and the experience that you do sitting amongst the technologists? Well, I've always been a jack of all trades. I think from that very beginning, that, that training, um, you know, with the ABC where you do pitch in, do everything sort of thing. Um, and, you know, if I was being cruel to myself, I might say I've got a short attention span, but uh, I think it's more that I'm really interested in a lot of different things and um, bringing, you know, bridging those gaps and um, being able to bring people um, from various teams together with the one idea of communicating well to audiences in the way that is going to work for those audiences means actually tapping into a lot of different sorts of skills. I think as communicators we can we can assume we're, you know, the ones who know best, but we also need to t- speak to, you know, the people who are at the coalface doing the training and by the same token the people who are, you know, doing the coding for the forms for the people who are going to report abuse of, you know, what their journey is going to be through those. Um, so there are so many opportunities to make sure that every element of what we do um, is actually usable and accessible, and I don't mean just accessible in terms of, um, 
you know, being able to be accessed by, um, you know, screen readers and that sort of thing, but accessed and understood by um, the general public generally is um, a challenge. And I don't think you can do that really effectively if you're just siloed. Um, and so that's one of the beauties of eSafety, that we do work across V-teams, virtual teams. Mm. So with that, that, that's a fascinating insight really into, you know, modern best practice where you have the subject matter expert with the technologist, with the storyteller, so everyone's sitting together. Can you just explain how do you make those cross-functional teams work and work effectively? All right. Well, we've, we've got um, what we realised a couple of years ago is that, um, of course, for the subject matter experts, what they're doing often is they're writing um, resources that might go on the website, for instance. And um, like every organisation, we we had grown a little bit siloed, depending which funding bucket um, someone was, you know, being funded from. And um, and so it meant that we'd kind of developed some different messaging across um, the different arms of what, you know, came to be e-safety as it is now. So it's been very much my role to um, to make sure that the people, say, in the education and training team are messaging things consistently with what's coming out of the investigations branch. Um, so what we, what we did, and also to prioritise what should be the next thing that you know, gets, gets uh, you know, the love and attention from the production and the promotion side of things. Because as you can imagine, we've got lots of creative people. We've got lots of opportunities to get out material to lots of audiences. Um, and so we have to pick which one in which order to do, you know. Uh, we'd love to do it all, but, but we're gradually, you know, in constant this process improvement that we go through. So what we did is brought together a... Um, an office-wide meeting uh, where we actually look at the content production and design schedule. So the, the um, so we could ensure that everyone in the office knew what we were putting out. And there's also a, a column there for the marketing team and a column there for the media and communications team. So they've got line of sight right from the beginning on a resource. Um, you know, I, I think... I think it's been that attitude until a few years ago that what you did was you developed a, a report, say, for instance. Um, you might have developed it as a print report and it's just a downloadable PDF. There, your job's done. That's it. But now we make sure that everyone from the very beginning, the the inception of those, is thinking about, okay, once it gets onto the website, how should it be promoted through the website? Where are we going to, you know, how are people going to find it on the website? What promotion do we need in terms of social media, in terms of EDMs, in terms of, um, you know, the, the media that might be uh, applicable to that? Is it large scale enough to, to justify that? Is it worth a speech by the commissioner? Um, so, so that's been a really valuable exercise for everyone because we can all see what everyone else is doing in the different teams. Um, and understand how it comes together and why it comes together. And, and we also get the feedback then um, in other cross-functional meetings uh, where the investigators tell us what sorts of experiences people are reporting um, who've been abused or where the domestic and family violence team tell us what um, domestic and family violence uh, support workers are finding or... 
the education team tells us, you know, what feedback they got from the latest parent webinar or the latest school webinar um, about what words are being used out there, you know, about these things that, um, you know, are, are being created as we're actually creating the resources about them as well. So we're doing that, um, uh, as the Commissioner says, we're, we're building the plane as we're flying it very much. <laughs> well, it's very true when you, as you say, you go back to that, um, you know, the growth uh, that you're talking about where you were saying that you're, I think you you said you started at 80 and you're now at 220. Well, probably by the end of this podcast, you might be a few more. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but Definitely. indeed, the, um, yeah, but the, the new powers uh, recently uh, given to you, the ongoing conversations that are happening overseas um, in mm. pretty much every Western democracy about just exactly how these matters are issued uh, or dealt with. It just, it, it to me is a fascinating um, to observe it from the outside and try to imagine just exactly how you are gripping that up. And so that's a wonderful insight to know that that's the way you're doing it. You're bringing everyone together. You're getting all of those insights at the earliest possible time and bringing yeah. everyone's expertise to the table. So everyone and, can and say, you know, you know we what, have what, go on. Sorry. We have that future. We have that future scanning as well to see what is the next thing that's coming along. You know, how are haptic suits going to um, impact? You know, can you be abused in a virtual world? Well, yes, you can. You know, you, you can be psychologically damaged. Um, so it, it's it's taking us into the realm of really high tech a lot of the time, um, and. There's no playbook for it. it. It hasn't been written before. In fact, during COVID, the United Nations and the CDC in the United States were turning to us for resources because it hadn't been written before. We we are the first creators of this. And so that is really exciting to think about how we explain it and how we um, make sure that people can access it as well. Mm. How do you avoid, as you grow, um, the silos coming coming back in, how, when it's, it's sort of at that manageable size and you can grow and it can still sort of come together, is it technology that's helping you to maintain this best practice? Oh, well, there's definitely that. But, you know, <laughs> technology can be a curse, can't it, as well, because you can't turn off then. Um, and there's always only so much information you can process as a worker in this environment as well as, uh, you know, as, as someone who is... Um, an everyday person experiencing the information overload, um, where there is just so much new material, new research that we're doing ourselves that we're looking from elsewhere as well. Um, I think I think one of the challenges is to be able to stop and take the time to actually think about the implications of something. You can rush out new material where you're making assumptions about um, what might be the risks or what might be the impacts, but to actually take the time to tease that out and think um, and, and, and to acknowledge that there are some real positives in things as well. You know, end-to-end -end encryption, for instance, is, you know, protects privacy at some levels, um, uh, at a lot of levels, you know, for banking and finance industry and that sort of thing. But it's also uh, the way in which pedophiles can share you know, images of children being abused. Um, so, so we have to look very holistically at everything that we approach. 
And the editing for that reason with my team, I I call it interrogative editing. So we are fact checking, but we're really we're really thinking about how this applies to the person who's reading it or could apply. And that comes down to things as simple as, you know, choice of language. For instance, um, you know, in this environment, we often talk about grooming. Now, um, grooming to a child could mean getting your hair ready for a selfie. Um, we mean it as grooming by sexual predators. Um, and so we have to we have to really unpack that. Uh, for young children, for instance, you can't assume they know what it means to be online. You have to explain that that means connected to the internet from a device um, that allows them to be contacted by other people and to contact people outside their own homes and family networks. Um, so, and, and also because we're dealing with low literacy a lot of the time as well to, you know, a lot of those things that you use as a communicator to make um, content warm and friendly and snackable can actually be problematic for low literacy audiences where there's ambiguity or, um, you know, where you're using idioms that might make it very familiar um, to a large part of your audience but might actually exclude and, in fact, misinform other people within your audience. So how, what frameworks do you use to, to help make some of those judgments? Well, again, it's one of the things where we've been having to set up those frameworks ourselves. Um, we had, as the Online Safety Act um, was being implemented over um, the six months leading up to the 23rd of January when we um, brought in a whole lot of new uh well, not powers, but uh, uh, protections, we like to call them, rather than powers. You know, it's not a jackboots thing. Um, we, we set up um, within our comms, between the comms team, the content team, uh, the marketing team, and some of our subject matter experts, also those who are looking at sort of higher level strategy um, within the executive and so on, we set up a, a V team and so we came together as a effectively as a community of practice each week and we teased out um, some of the things that we were, that, you know, we're finding to be roadblocks. Do we say it this way or should we say it that way? Um, informed by some market research uh, at different points and our own research generally, um, of course, it would be fantastic to be able to do market research on every little thing, but if, if you're writing a whole lot of new legislation or, in our case, writing and editing the regulatory guidance for that legislation, um, I can tell you you're still doing that the night before it was published. You know, as many, many people in uh, our organisations would know, you know, you, you're always working to pretty tight deadlines when you... Um, you know, and also what was that... You know, there are so many quotes about brevity out there that you've got to you've got to take a long time to be brief about things and concise and accurate. Um, but then, of course, you know, you're talking about digital technology. You're also informed by you know the data um, on your website, on your social media, on uh, your EDMs. You know what people are engaging with. Um, so it's it's a matter of listening as much as possible, but times being able to lock down and stop listening because of the volume. That's great advice. I think, you know, that baking in the time for reflection, I think is, um, 
is really important because it is so busy now. There's so much to do. There's never enough time. I don't think you could ever come across anybody who says they've got plenty of time to do what they need <laughs> to right. do. But to really take that time. Um, and how do you plan that? Well, uh, that's that's a challenge because, you know, when you are scaling up, you're having to do the work and re- recruit the people for the work or recruit the external agencies to, you know, help you with that work. And so time is very challenging and being able to set that aside, um, as, especially when people are working very um, separately during COVID, where we're still not back in the office entirely, only occasionally. Um, so I've, what I've done is just tried to maintain a connection. So each morning we check in with each other in my team just to say, uh, okay, this is what I'm working on today. This is what might be relevant to you. We have these cross-team meetings. We, my, um, you know, editors and publishers meet with the designers and developers regularly. Um, we have our weekly forum where we're bringing people together about what's being, you know, in a steering committee, basically. Um, and then my group itself, my my team, we have a weekly workshop and we have lately been introducing exercises which are not related necessarily to a piece of work that we're labouring over. It might be something completely different, a creative writing exercise or not even dealing with words. Last week we were playing Spot the Difference together, which was challenging online because the person who's, you know, got hold of the of the cursor and you're trying to say, no, no, the spot on that fish <laughs> on the top left-hand corner next to the stripe, that's different. Um <laughs> So, yeah, being able to build that in is very, very challenging, especially when you've got a really dynamic group of people and dynamic leadership. Mm. And what about the the further collaborations? Because clearly the eSafety Commission and Commissioner have roles and responsibilities, but as you mentioned, you are only 200 strong and there are a lot of other uh, government agencies, be they at the mm. the national level mm. or at the state level, uh, that you would be um, working with. Can you do, explain how that works with outside government partners and, and how you bring alignment and clarity um, to those relationships and that, that storytelling? Yeah, well, that that is challenging, of course, because first of all, you've got to define what safety and how is that different to security and privacy, you know, what is the territory of the, um, you know, Privacy Commission or the Information Commissioner? What is the territory of Cyber Report and Scam Watch? Um, and there's always an overlap in those things, of course, uh, because really as a whole, digital literacy needs to take into account, you know, the three-legged stool of privacy, security, safety. Um and really, you can't have safety without some digital literacy about privacy and security to begin with as well. So, but it, it's a space where we've had to work it out ourselves over the, the past years. And we do have some, uh, I mean, among ourselves. And we have had different relationships with law enforcement, with uh, the other government departments who are our close partners where we've been teasing out these issues and trying to define it ourselves. And we've got to a point where we're more confident that, okay, we can say this matter is not us and that's where you need to go for that. This matter is us and this is how you find that. 
um, and to also cross-promote a bit as well. But, of course, you know, when, you, when you're the new player in, uh, among some very, you know, long-established organisations and agencies and departments, um, you have to be singing pretty loud uh, mm. to, to have your voice heard. One of the things, of course, for us is that because we're getting so much attention overseas, because um, governments in other countries are coming to us and looking at the model that we've set up for regulation, for prevention through education, um, through, you know, proactive change by um, elevating uh, safety by design within startups, for instance. Um, all these all these things have made it... Uh, I guess have, have have validated that what we're doing is something that is important to every single stakeholder. So it should be important to every single department and agency because we, you know, there's no distinction between what is online and what is real life anymore. We don't use in real life on our website because real life is working online, is studying online, you know, especially since COVID is socialising online, is, you know, meeting your partner online. It's, you know, online is part of our real lives now. Hmm. So if you look back, say, over the last couple of years and you sort of look over your shoulder and you, you look way back to when you, when you got going and you got started, what's the single biggest thing that surprised you about what has happened in your job? You know, this is probably, you know, the area really that's had such mm. massive change um, in its context. And so you've probably been thrown from one end to the other, I imagine, on a number of occasions. Mm. Well, you know, sometimes you can plan for things that um, you've got a ditch, of course. Um, like if you're planning a program where you're putting uh, youth and elderly people together to mentor each other, which we were doing just pre-COVID, then you can't do that once COVID comes along. Um, but, but for us, it's also been um, the rapid evolution of legislation. Um, you know, of course, being in the office on the day that Facebook was live streaming the terrorist attack in New Zealand was... Um, completely eye-opening uh you know we we had can you tell us can you tell us that story well i i can tell you that you know everyone was shocked by it and everyone was immediately you know thinking okay what are the crisis implications for us as an agency we didn't necessarily have the language and the legislation around that you know that that followed and so what is surprising then for me was to see how that's done, how that is developed, because I had not worked within government. Um, I'd worked sort of alongside government um, and I'd worked in public policy but with NGOs. Um, and so to, to see, I guess that was the most surprising thing, to see how legislation is developed really rapidly um, and how then you need to implement legislation which, um, you know, by, by its very nature is, is fairly high level, but you've got to think through the fine detail of what the standard operating procedures are on the floor for a group of investigators. Um, I, guess, I guess 
I would say that those things are less surprising and more exhilarating to think that you're there at the cutting edge as these things are changing. And, you know, it was a real privilege to be involved in thinking about how do we put in messaging about things like um, ISP blocking, you know, internet service providers, geo-blocking, um, uh, you know, these these extraordinary things. So, you know, that's at a very high-level strategic level and I'm, I'm not... I'm not the legislation and, and, you know, the legal and policy team, but I work closely with them and find that fascinating, find that really fascinating. So that's a question looking back. A final question to look forward. As someone who has responsibility for content strategy and publishing and sitting in there as part of those cross-functional teams and seeing the change and being so aware of the environment and what's working and what's not working and what's growing and what's not growing, what advice might you have to other people working in not just regulatory, government regulatory communication, but communication more broadly? Um, what advice might you have? Because I thought your insight there mm. before about low literacy environments is is sometimes something that we don't really um, think enough about um, in our communication. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's been fascinating doing some of the training for accessibility as well and thinking about, uh, you know, like we, we even write easy read resources. So that's a whole different sort of literacy where you have to use pictures and simple words as well. Um, so I guess, I guess my advice is not to be afraid of change. Um, I actually know I'm a little bit of a change junkie, even though I always throw up my hands <laughs> and pretend right it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> because the platforms will change. The, the way you get out to the audience will change. Where you house your material will change. Well, we have websites, I don't know. But the principles of, of speaking to people and stopping and, and, and making sure you're not... Um, assuming knowledge that others don't have, I think is a really uh, powerful uh, ability to have no matter what industry you're in or, or, you know, what you're trying to communicate. The the importance of the principles of a well-structured piece of information which is clear but concise enough um, that people who live very, very busy lives are likely to be engaged enough that they might come back to later to investigate more. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid of change. Embrace the change and think about how exciting it might be to have yet another platform for us all to be working on. Well, Deborah Rice, thank you so much for coming on to GovComs today. Um, your insight's just fabulous. I think it's such an exciting um, part of society, really, and those those changes, those challenges. And really, I love the way that you've brought that structure and that really best practice functional structure and taking advantage of the fact that you've built a culture from the ground up and you've held on to it and that ability to be able to bring everybody together and, and take everyone on the journey together. Well, it doesn't always work. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, but at least you've got a process. You're not leaving yeah. it to luck. Yeah. You're not leaving yeah. it to just to happen there. Well, Deborah Rice, who's the Manager of Content Strategy and Publishing with Australia's eSafety Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us on GovComs today. Another fabulous interview. Uh, for the audience out there. And thank you. Uh, I think we're now in our eighth year of doing GovComs. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back uh, once again. Delighted that uh, 
the audience, it continues to grow and it continues. It's all over the world. I was only looking at some of the numbers the other day and there's people in the Congo, there's people in Belgium, there's people everywhere who are dialing in and listening to these great stories. Or is that where their VPNs are? (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, that could be. But again, imagine just what you've learnt today um, in the time that you've been able to spend with Deborah Rice. Delighted that she was able to join us and delighted that you were able to come back once again. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks with another wonderful guest from the world of government communications. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.